Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hey friends, glad to be back in your ears this week. I have a nice little interview lined up for you today. I'm speaking with psychologist Dr. Kim Daniels, who works primarily with those struggling with overeating, negative body image. So today we're going to talk all about emotional eating, and I feel like now's a really great time to tuck into this conversation. Uh, We are in a very big time of high anxiety and stress, right? No surprise to anybody. And we all have our different coping strategies. Based on what I'm hearing, there's a lot of talk of emotional eating. And on top of that, I, when I started seeing people, family and close friends um, after quarantine, not to say I'm like fully in society right now, I'm certainly not. Um, there was a lot of commentary on my body or my husband's body, like, oh, you guys didn't gain any quarantine weight or, oh, you're looking fit. And that was super weird to me. Um, it made me really understand like, oh, this is a thing. This is something people are doing. This is something people are saying. If I'm hearing it multiple times and talking to some friends, they're getting that a few times too, then no doubt this is playing out on a much grander scale. And this notion of quarantine weight gain or the quarantine 15 and the anxiety or the pressure that might actually come from feeling like people are critiquing your pandemic body is just a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So when I realized that this was going on, I had a very clear moment of thinking to myself, I am so grateful and glad that I've healed so much of my body image issues because if I was still in that place, I would really be struggling right now. And I mean, going back to my eating disorder and when I was in recovery from my eating disorder, I clearly remember missing major important social events and even missing weddings because I was so anxious about people judging my body, which is obviously not true, uh, but that was that was the... That was the story running in my head and obviously a clear-cut example of how eating disorders take over your brain. Um, So in this time where people's mental health is struggling and anxiety is really high, I really worry about those who are struggling with disordered eating or body image issues because we know that eating disorders are a mental health issue. And this is not going to be an eating disorder episode, but emotional eating kind of fits into all of this as one of the ways that we cope with our emotions, our anxiety, our stress. Um, And then layer on people commenting about eating and people commenting about bodies. It's it's just a lot to unpack. 
Um, so some people will actually say emotional eating is not a thing, but Dr. Kim disagrees with that. So I'm really looking forward to exploring that and, and hearing her viewpoint on that as somebody who has worked for 20 years with people around emotional eating. So before we dive into the interview, I um, I want to let you know that there was some real glitchy audio uh, struggles with this recording. In how it's going to sound to you, I was able to um, play mix master Aaron a little bit and resolve most of the issues. But how it's going to sound to you is that my voice is a little quieter once we once I hit play on the interview. My voice is a little quieter than uh, than Kim's, which is totally fine because she's really running the show today. That it's her interview. She's delivering most of the the content. Um, I'm really just queuing up questions, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'm not a fan of glitchy audio, but I didn't want to scrap the interview because I didn't. I thought that would be really disrespectful to Kim. She, you know, she, she showed up. I showed up. I didn't want to waste our time by throwing this out because it is such a good conversation and she delivers so much info that I think that you guys would really want to hear. So um, I wanted to give you a heads up so you weren't like, "What is going on here?" The other thing, I um, when you're recording uh, a conversation. It's different than sitting down on a couch with somebody having a conversation. So if there's any extra stuff, so for example, you'll hear Kim agreeing with me or doing what she was calling, uh, she, her therapist was on. So she was going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay. Um, because of the audio, it sounds a little bit awkward and her voice is a little bit louder. Um, I did pause about 15 minutes in. I did pause to to let her know um, about the audio stuff. So uh, that that's pretty short-lived, but again, I wanted to give you a heads up um, so you aren't wondering what the heck was going on. But without much further ado, here's the interview. And I had asked her to explain a little bit about her background because what's interesting is that she got her start working with people with eating issues in a surgery program, so um, uh, bariatric surgery gastric bypass surgery. And I was really interested in that. So that's where um, that's where the interview is going to pick up. I asked her to tell me a little bit about her background. Yes. Yes. So when I was doing my um, postdoctoral fellowship, I mean, let me back up and say for a second that I, I am not one of those people that came to this because I have a history of an eating disorder. I, however, having just said that, I am somebody who absolutely loves food and I am absolutely an emotional eater. So when people sort of say, oh, that's not a thing or it's just a result of dieting, it's like, nah, and like my, I can use myself as an example as to why that's not necessarily true. Um, so I, when I went through my graduate program, I, I didn't necessarily get any special training in eating disorders, but I was always interested in them, in, in them because to me, they were sort of this um, th this, um, it, it was like a whole psych, like a biopsychosocial, like all of those factors contributed to eating disorders. It wasn't just, you know, we know there's some biology behind them, but we also know there's a huge social piece to them and a, and a huge trauma piece and all that kind of stuff. So I just thought that was fascinating how the interplay of all of that sort of fit together. Um, so when I was doing my fellowship at a hospital here in Connecticut, um, they started a surgery program. And it was one of those things where it was kind of like, 
well, and they had called over to, I was, I was just in the outpatient behavioral health clinic and they called over and said, Hey, we need somebody to sort of support this program, you know, like doing the pre-op avows and support groups and that kind of stuff. Um, do you have anybody who would do it? And it was like, it was kind of one of those things where nobody else wanted to. So it became my job. Um, and you know, my supervisor was kind of like, well, you know, I know you're interested in eating disorders, so here you go. And it was like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know that I even agree with this. Um, so, but you know, let me just interrupt. Yeah, sure. Just to be clear, we're talking about gastric bypass. Correct. And, and at the time there was, they were also doing the lap band that sort of became a thing too. Yeah. But really actually when they started, it was just, it was just gastric bypass. Um, so, you know, so I, so I ended up, you know, kind of because I had to, um, you know, working in that program and, and I still, you know, it's 20 years later, that was back in 2000s, 20 years later, and I still struggle with whether or not that was the right thing to do. Um, and I and I think you know, there's a lot of people who find the surgery very controversial, and there are people who think it's awful, and there are people who, who say it saved their lives, and I absolutely totally agree with that. I've seen it happen. Um, but, um, but that is, yeah, that is essentially where I started working with folks who were struggling with eating and certainly weight issues. The focus was on weight. And so since I was working in that program, then anybody who sort of came in for outpatient therapy, who was also struggling with eating and weight, they kind of gave to me and, you know, and I'll say what a lot of people say, you know, I was doing everything wrong. I was totally focused on weight loss because that's what my clients were focused on. And, um, and I was supporting a lot of the dietary habits that, you know, people get into and, you know, and, and thankfully a few years into it went, well, this doesn't work like this. It, it's not helping anybody to be focused on this. Um, so I, I can certainly say, you know, for me personally, over the past couple of years, I mean, now I really focus from an intuitive eating and a health at every size approach, but you know, for me personally, even a couple years ago, really getting into intuitive eating, and I was never somebody who was a huge dieter, because I, there was no way I was going to deprive myself. I just couldn't do it. I tried it once. I tried to remember the, um, the cabbage soup diet back when it was all the rage. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, right. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I did it once and I lasted 10 hours. <laughs> so I've just never been able to like restrict myself in that way. And, and then of course I felt bad about that because that's what everybody else was doing. Everybody else was dieting and here I am. I'm like, I can't do it. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, but, but even, even though I was not sort of a technical diet dieter, I know that I was always sort of watching what I was eating. And I was sort of, I would never necessarily describe myself as orthorexic, but certainly went through phases where, you know, I'm eating kale all the time and I'm putting flaxseed on everything and I'm reading all about the superfoods and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's really just been, you know, when you were talking about, thank God, I've really worked on my own body image stuff. Like it's really been in the past, you know, three, four years that it's like, I'm not like, I'm just not thinking about that stuff anymore. You know, what I really talk about with people is food freedom. And to me, that's just, I just want to be able to enjoy food because it's enjoyable. You know, I want to eat the foods that make me feel good and, uh, you know, physically and emotionally, you know, food is an emotional piece, you know, in our culture for sure. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of taken a, like a 180 degree turn over the years in terms of how I work with people, but that, that is definitely where I started. It was, it was mainly focused on weight loss. I'm so curious to hear 
what what the pre-op psych eval mm. is all about. What are you looking for? What are you screening for for somebody that's about to go under the knife, so to speak? Right. So you're looking for um, you're looking for. Uh, any sort of, obviously any significant psychiatric issue that's not being treated or that's not being treated well. Um, you know, and certainly when you think about something like depression or anxiety, obviously those can be highly related to weight because of the society that we live in, right? So it's kind of like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, so in some folks, their depression actually lessens after weight loss, like we know that, as, as does their anxiety. So, um, so those aren't necessarily contraindications, but certainly Certainly if you're, you know, if most programs sort of have the the rule of, you know, no suicidal thoughts in the past year. I mean, if your depression is at that level, then obviously you're not going to be a candidate for surgery. Um, so, and, and we're also looking at, do they even understand the process? Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of surgical programs that just, it's like, you know, you're cleared in a day and a half and, um, and then people go through it and they have no idea really what it all entails because it's incredibly difficult. I, there's no way I could do what I needed to, you know, what these folks are doing. Um, so, so it really is, do they understand the process? Do you have realistic goals? Um, because a lot of people really believe that weight loss is the thing that's going to fix their lives. Um, and that's not true. You know, I always tell people, there are plenty of thin, miserable people out there. Like weight loss is not a guarantee for happiness, <laughs> you know, but it's like this belief that, you know, um, if I just lose weight, my marriage is going to get better. If I just lose weight, I'm going to become a marathon runner. If I just lose weight, you know, da, 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 da. And of course we all know that that's not, that's not going to happen, you know? Um, so it's really, you know, it's really looking at, um, and obviously it's looking at their relationship with food. If they are somebody who is really struggling with emotional eating, surgery isn't going to help that. Um, or binge eating, surgery isn't going to help that. Um, so, so yeah, that's pretty much what the, and people do them in different ways. I did, you know, like a long clinical interview and um, just a little bit of psych testing. Some people, I've had people tell me, you know, they were in and out in 15 minutes, which I think is a disgrace. So, um, so it, sadly, there's no sort of standard in the field in terms of what you have to do to be, you know, for habit, for having it being considered a psych eval for pre-op surgery. Yeah. And I was I'm curious too, if you do, if you did any follow-up, because I would imagine that, I mean, it's such an yeah. emotional roller coaster sure. to go through this, to lose a significant amount of weight, to be left with. Sure essentially the same life, just right. down some pounds and right. how people emotionally process this, whether right. that's the way the world views them has changed or perhaps relationships have changed. And like you said, I mean, they, there's, if they haven't addressed the emotional eating aspect, that's right. just not going to go away. No, not at all. Surgery. Not so, at all. Right. Did right. you ever do any type of follow-up? And if so, what did you find to be a common trend or theme, if any? So, I, when I was working at the hospital, um, which I, I'm in private practice now, but when I was working at the hospital, we went through a few years of sending out letters, you know, like follow-up letters, you know, to have people come back in like six months, a year, two years, all that kind of stuff. I can probably count on one hand the number of people who actually came back in. So it, it's not that we weren't trying to get them back in, but most people, they'd follow up with the surgeon, and unless the surgeon had significant um, concerns... I never saw them again. Um, and I think some of that is because a lot of people still just didn't see it as sort of a psychological issue. And I'm not saying it always is. I'm not at all saying that weight is a psychological issue. I'm not saying that at all. But um, a lot of people, 
um, really just felt like, oh, it's my metabolism. Oh, it's my this. Oh, it's my that. No, I don't turn to food. And, and, and again, for some of those people, I'm sure that's absolutely true. But for a lot of those people, it wasn't. Um, so I think that unfortunately, if you, especially if you go through the surgery and you're not as successful as you would like to be, the shame involved in that is huge. And so you're not going to be reaching out and going back and sort of saying, because again, you're going to see it as your failure. Now, I mean, we know the numbers are not great, even for surgery in terms of long-term weight loss. They're not. So it's still for a lot of people, a setup for failure through absolutely no fault of their own, just like diets are. Um, but of course, just like diets, they took it as this personal failure. I did the last thing, like it's the last thing I could possibly do. There's no, you know, there's no other step past this and it didn't work. I'm a failure. And so I think the shame of that is what keeps people away from, you know, going back to um, a mental health person or a nutritionist or, you know, whatever. So unfortunately, I think that is a big piece of it. But for the people that I have seen, I mean, I've definitely had plenty of people who have, um, who have come in who are post-op and some of them have gained back every pound and then some which again I mean there was I mean it's it was like one study but there was one study that really looked at you know the, the people who did like the biggest loser and the people who have gone through surgery and it's like it shifted their metabolism so badly that it's like they were having to eat like 600 or 800 calories just to maintain their weight you know and it's like who can live like that who can live like that so again, it's like I would have people in my office going, but I swear to you, like, this is all I'm eating and, and they're still and they're gaining. So I mean, it's it, which is why again, it's like, I don't, I don't know how much I support this, you know what I mean? Because it's like, we don't know whether it's going to be successful for somebody. And, um, and again, people take that to be, it's my fault, I've done something wrong. And it's not and I just don't think people go into it with the knowledge. I used to, I used to do these, um, uh, presentations once a month for pre-ops and I would always ask people to raise their hand and uh, for for people who knew someone who would have the surgery and like half the room would raise their hand and then I would say well how many people know somebody who regained the weight and like a third of the people would, would raise their hands but they all thought they were going to be the exception to the rule you know what I mean and it's like again it's just I feel like there's just so much misinformation put out there about it and again it's hard to get the hardcore the hardcore sort of success, you know, I say that in air quotes, um, numbers in terms of long-term weight loss. It's just not super effective, but people think it is. People think it's, I'm going to have the surgery and I'm never going to crave these things again. And I'm not going to be able to eat them because they're going to make me sick. And I'm, and I'm done. Like it's done. It's handled. It's done. And that's not, it's just not the case. So, um, and, and then the emotion of oh, hopelessness. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That might come up when you've. I mean, that's essentially the. Of course. Of course. My last, right. My last uh, option, and when that doesn't work, the right. level of, of of hopelessness these people oh. must must be faced with. Absolutely. Is, Absolutely, um, it's yeah. huge. Yeah, and it's even for a lot of people again 
they I've had people come into my office in the surgery from a weight loss standpoint they would consider it a huge success and they're miserable they're like they're even more unhappy with their lives now and again I think that's that goes back to this idea that weight loss is the thing that's going to fix everything and it doesn't um, and now I mean even I would say even you know dieting is sort of a distractor just like overeating is a distractor and going through the surgery can be a distractor and it's like now that I'm not focused on this weight loss anymore I I'm sort of seeing all these things about my life that weren't great. Um, so now I have to deal with that stuff. So that comes up a lot as well. Um, and there's a lot of body image issues as well because of the excess skin that you're so often dealing with after surgery that people are just not used to seeing or de and it's uncomfortable and it's, you know, and it's moving around while you're trying to exercise and what do I do about that? And so again, it's like there's, there's all these very potential issues that come up afterwards. So yes, I have, I've definitely seen a lot of people come back in for therapy because of sort of all those reasons and relationships that change. Um, certainly if you, you know, have a partner who's not on board for, you know, this new healthy lifestyle or whatever you want to call it, um, that can cause some problems or there's a lot of worry that now my spouse is going to leave because they've lost weight and now they're out there more and they're socializing more. And so there, there's just a lot, there's a lot that goes with it for sure. So let's talk about emotional eating uh, now. Mm -hmm. There are people that don't agree that emotional e eating is a thing. It's not Correct. real. Right. Um, and you had mentioned being, you know, use, utilizing principles of intuitive eating. Right. I feel like we hear that a lot right. from the intuitive. I do. Yes. Can. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, but you have a different perspective. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I totally agree with the idea that what we consider sort of emotional eating and certainly binge eating can absolutely be a result of restricting and dieting. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I just don't think that's always the full picture. I think that um, people absolutely use food, you know, to feel, I, I see it as they use food like for three different things usually. It's usually to make themselves feel better. Um, and again, I put myself in that camp too. Um, it's to sort of avoid and distract yourself from either really sort of heavy duty emotions that you don't know how to manage, or again, a situation that you're just not ready to face. If I can, you know, people talk about being in like the food trance or the food coma. If I can sort of be in that sort of numbed out state and not think about, you know, again, like my lousy marriage or my career that's going nowhere or whatever, then that's a much easier space to be in than actually, you know, focusing on that. Um, and then food can be a punishment for some people. For some people, like eating to the point of feeling physically uncomfortable is what they feel like they deserve. Um, so, so I, you know, and I feel like after 20 years, like when I first sort of read this idea that like, well, it's really not a thing. It was like, so my whole career has been what a sham, <laughs> you know, I mean, like all of this work that I thought I was doing to people like wasn't valid. I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I just feel like, I feel like that is a, I, I, I feel like that is something that absolutely needs to be looked at. Like, is this just, 
um, I'm so stressed out about dieting and weight loss that any that I that I I don't really have sort of the inner resources to deal with anything that kind of comes my way, and so I turn to food. Um, is it that you know again I've been restricting myself for so long that again any chance I get you know I'm, I'm then sort of jumping into the binge eating category. So I definitely think that's something to look at, but I don't think that's the whole story. I do think that people use food for a lot of different reasons. I think it's, um, you know, even things, even things like I'm thinking about a client of mine who I had, she was a young woman who, um, I started seeing her, I think she was like 18 and I saw her for maybe three years, but she had lost her mom when her mom was, when she was nine. Um, and her mom had always struggled with sort of eating issues and was always kind of unhappy with her body and things like that. And so my client really struggled with that too. And, um, and it was a way of being connected to her mom who she didn't have anymore. So I feel like there's like, there's so many dynamics with sort of eating and body image and all that kind of stuff that you can't just sort of say, well, it's diet and, and that's it. Okay. So you're saying that there's different factors that contribute to emotional eating. One of the things that you mentioned that I really related to was this using food as a way to numb out. So if we have a lot of big emotions or scary feelings, or there's things going on in our life that are stressing us out or aren't working for us rather than addressing them head on, or perhaps we don't even have the tools to, to manage those things or deal with those things, we can use food as a way to check out. And this is really, to your point, can be irrespective of whether or not we're restricting earlier in the day. And I think, you know, that's the whole thing with intuitive eating. If we restrict, yes, of course, that's going to lead to binging. I mean, nobody's, nobody's arguing that. But even, I mean, and this is coming from somebody who struggled with eating disorders for 13 years, some of that was binging and purging. Even when I wasn't restricting, there is still this using food and using overeating as a balm because I didn't know how to manage my, my big scary emotions. So if I numbed myself out from them, then that made my life a little bit easier. And so we look at emotional eating as this really bad negative thing. And sometimes it's just a tool to, to take care of ourselves because we don't have any other tools in our arsenal. So can you speak a little bit more to that piece? And if somebody's listening and kind of nodding along and saying, yeah, that's what I do. What are, as a, as you know, and you, what do you do to help somebody start to build out more habits around this so they can almost replace the emotional eating with something else? So, yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And it, to your point, I feel like, you know, especially if you go on like social media, it's like you see, you know, 10 ways of ending emotional eating. And I feel like, again, that's that black and white piece. I don't feel like we have to end it. I, I tell clients, I don't feel like we have to cure it. We just have to curb it. And, and I think, expecting yourself to never do it again is again another setup for failure um so but but i think you're absolutely right that we have to have sort of other coping skills in place um so i think i i kind of call it like the abcs of curbing your emotional eating the first being awareness of why you're eating hunger and fullness cues all that kind of stuff but also 
the stories that you're telling yourselves about food, you know, because we all have sort of these these stories in our mind of what kind of eater we are and, and that sort of thing. Also, knowing kind of, kind of your backstory, your history with food, um, what the messages were that you got about food. You know, sometimes it's just, it's just as simple as that. It's as simple as looking back at messages and going, oh, wait a second. Like, that's not mine. I, somebody handed that to me and that's not, I don't, you know, I don't want to carry that anymore. So I'm just not, I'm not, you know, I'm, so I'm just not going to. But it's also obviously then C is coping skills. And so... The way I work with people is, and I, I use, so I'm trained in a model of therapy called internal family systems or IFS. And it really looks at people as, it's like we don't have one solitary personality. We have, we have multiple personality. <laughs> um, and that's, and it's not like in a crazy way. Um, but we all have different parts of us that are sort of doing different things and have different beliefs and different feelings. So for anybody who's had that experience of sort of saying, well, a part of me wants this, but a part of me doesn't, you know, and there could be a part of me really wants to give up eating, but a part of me doesn't because I'm scared of what that might look like and I don't know what else to do. Um, so I really help people to sort of recognize, you know, what I call sort of your eating parts, the parts of you that really turn toward um, food as a way of fixing something or numbing out. And what we do is we sort of get to know like what tends to trigger that and people then are able to sort of walk themselves through when it comes up, oh, I'm recognizing now that this part of me is turning to food because I'm stressed and I know that's what always happens. So how can I have like a little conversation with that part of me right now to sort of say, you know what? I get where you're coming from. I get that's what we always used to do, but we're going to do something a little bit differently this time. And certainly having sort of that list ready to, you know, ready to go. What are some of the things that you, that are really sort of nurturing for you? What are things that um, are stress relieving for you to have that ready to go um, is incredibly helpful. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's sort of being able to having the awareness of what is leading you to food and being able to sort of um, either sit with the feeling and a lot of that is is a lot of prep work and 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 people have a lot of fear about sitting with these big emotions. And so there's a lot of prep work around, you know, how do I do that? What's the fear about? And a lot of people are terrified of how awful that might be. And I, I find that it's not nearly as bad as people think it's going to be um, most of the time. Um, so sitting with these big emotions is something that you can handle and working from an IFS perspective, there are ways of sort of modulating um, those, those emotions and being able to sort of kind of turn those down in the moment. Um, but it really is about that awareness and about that relationship with yourself. It's about really developing a relationship with yourself. So I know when I am, when I am reaching for food and I know I'm not hungry because I've checked in on that. I'm not hungry. So what are the thoughts that I might be having that are leading to food? And some of those might be just, well, there's donuts on the counter and those look good. You know, I mean, that's not necessarily emotional eating, but it could be, um, you know, oh my God, I, you know, my, again, my partner and I are having this huge fight and I don't want to face them and I don't know how to deal with that. So I'm going to go numb myself out, but okay. So what do I need to sort of sit with and, um, and, and think about and experience in terms of how do I need to move forward with this problem? If that makes any sense.
Oh, it makes perfect sense. Okay. I, and I love that you said we don't have to cure it. We have to curb it because I think it's an unrealistic expectation because we're human beings with emotions who have to eat. There's going to be some interplay between emotions and eating. Like hard stop. That's just how it goes. I remember this is a couple of years ago, but I remember I was like, in, I was making a conscious decision to emotionally eat. I'm like, I'm stressed out. I want some sugar therapy. I made a sheet pan of cookies and I like took a picture of myself and posted it. Like almost like normalize emotional eating. Like I'm making a conscious choice to do this. This is the way that I'm choosing to cope with my life stress right now. It's going to be okay. Like I'm doing it. I'm aware of it. I'm going to move on tomorrow, but right now the way I'm going to make myself feel good is eating a bunch of chocolate chip cookies, you know? And yeah. That's cool. You know, it is what it is. Um, I can really relate to feeling two things that you said, feeling that I am, I'm ill-equipped to handle these big emotions. They're going to swallow me up whole. And I, I, I love that you pointed out they're not as bad as you think I am or they're not as bad as you think they're going to be because living with an eating disorder or being trapped in emotional eating or disordered eating is a living hell right and so the alternative is to to not feeling your emotions and to checking out with food is pretty shitty so like maybe try on actually experiencing the emotions because what you're doing now is hell. And that's why so many people want to get out of it. What you said, it's part of me wants to start stop dieting. Part of me doesn't. I live like that. I straddled both worlds for years. Like I want to stop this behavior. I want to jump off the diet roller coaster. I want to stop this bur binge purge cycle. I want to be done. But then there was a part of me that really held onto it and was terrified to let it go. And for me, recovery was a very long process. It wasn't just something that happened overnight. The ABC piece, I mean, I really am thinking about my own, my own journey with, with food and I love the awareness. Like you cannot change behaviors in patterns if you're not first aware of them. So of course it has to start with awareness. The backstory is great. Really thinking about thinking through your relationship to food and, and what that looked like. I mean, going all the way back to childhood or how that behavior was modeled to you. And then, then the coping skills can come into play. So I appreciate that, that, um, the ABCs that you have set out for people. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and it's not, you know, I mean, it certainly sounds like your experience is absolutely, you know, true in terms of it, there's no quick fix to this. So it's like a lot of times, again, when I see the, you know, 10 easy steps to whatever, it just drives me not like there's nothing easy about, I mean, for people, again, who are truly emotional eaters and, 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 you know, obviously, so much of this also relates to body image. And it's so hard to have a positive, you know, a positive relationship with your body. And I know, you know, you've had other people on talking about body neutrality. And for a lot of people, that's as good as it's going to get, you know, and that's still better than where they're at, for sure. Um, but it's like, there, there's just so much, again, for people who really are, 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 are are using food in a more significant way, it's, there's, it's not an easy process. And even, I mean, I even feel cheesy, you know, like, uh, you know, turning it into this sort of ABC thing, because it makes it sound like in a week and a half, you'll be done with it. But it's like, <laughs> 
No, I mean, the awareness, again, it's like it might take you two months just to know when you're hungry. And certainly if you've been restricting, that's going to take a while, right? Um, but also, again, it's not just like, okay, how do I feel in the moment? It's also, again, like, what are the stories that I tell myself? What are the thoughts that I have about this? Is that related to an emotion? Is it not? I mean, it's just like awareness, 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 awareness is, 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 is so important. But again, that for a lot of people is the hard part, because then I really have to take a look at this. And I think that's why people, when they really struggle with eating, it's like, I'll just turn to dieting because that'll put rules around it. And then I won't have to deal with all this other stuff. But of course, we all know that the rules of dieting make you feel even more out of control. So that's not, it's not helpful. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like you have to really, to really get out of this, you have to do all of that work. And a lot of that work is, is, is changing your relationship with yourself, which I think is incredibly important and like an amazing thing to accomplish at the end of all of this um, is to be, you know, sort of a much more self-nurturing, self-aware, self-loving kind of person. Right. And I feel that so many of these things that we view as struggles or are cross to bear, whether it's body image issues or eating issues or chronic illness or, 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 or are really just ways to get closer to ourself when it's all said and done. If we use it as, you know, an invitation to learn a little bit more about ourselves, about our needs, our wants and desires, if we kind of sit down next to ourselves and, and get a little bit more in touch with with whether we want to call it inner child or higher self or soul or whatever's going on, um, these are really great, great ways to be able to do that. And that, that is speaking from experience. I've certainly <laughs> been dealt my fair share of body struggles. Yeah, absolutely. And like the biggest word in sort of the IFS world is curiosity. It's just about being curious about yourself from it, which, which curiosity doesn't involve judgment. It doesn't have an agenda. It's just, I, you know, being curious about, I wonder why I do that. You know, not, oh my God, why do I do that? Oh, you know, not that, but like, God, I wonder why I do that. I wonder why every time I come home from whatever I head to the fridge, I wonder why I do that. And just being that, that just level of sort of openness and curiosity about yourself. You're going to learn so much about yourself um, if you approach it from that way. And again, there's not this agenda that then I have to fix it, but it's just this, oh, that's really interesting. And to be able to sort of, again, be aware of that and then sort of go, I wonder, like, I wonder where that came from, you know, and then you might make a connection of, you know what, that's what mom always did. Well, that's interesting. I wonder where she got it from. Um, you know, and just that curiosity, that non-judgmental curiosity. And like you said, that will take you to such an amazing place. It can be a great opportunity to really, you know, connect with yourself and learn so much more about yourself and in that generalizes to so many other so many other things. You know, I'll use a real world example because I see this this play out quite a bit with my own clients who have convinced themselves that they are binge eaters at night. Now, sometimes it's because they're restricting during the day, right? So, mm -hmm. they, of course you're going to binge at night, your body's starving and it's telling you that. But even even folks who are eating a, um, you know, an appropriate amount of food, it's a weird thing to say, so I'm kind of using air quotes, you can't <laughs> see me, but an appropriate amount of food throughout the day and still find that 
they look forward to their after dinner snack. It doesn't matter how big their dinner is or how small or how many, you know, how nutrient dense or the macronutrient ratio, they're still gravitating towards food at night. And when we get curious about that, a big common pattern that I see is that women are freaking burnt out and exhausted and they've been going, 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 doing, 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 performing, performing, performing for everybody in their life all day. They put their kids down and it's like their special time to just enjoy themselves and that's sort of what they turn to is food. But if we can you know, unpack what's going on by being curious, not judgmental, right? Like you said, not beating ourselves up for that behavior, but getting curious about that behavior. It's like we start to pull out a thread and the whole thing comes untangled and we're like, oh, this is just my body communicating to me that I need to do something for myself. I need some pleasure in my life. I need to take care of myself outside of everybody else. And I think that's that's kind of a cool thing um, when we start to really explore why we do the things that we do or why our behaviors are what they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear the same thing. It's like, this is the only time I have to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you're absolutely right. So then it becomes, okay, so how do we need to sort of restructure things? You know, how do we, like, what can we take off of your plate? I hate to use that, that, that metaphor, but you know, too much on your plate. Um, but what, you know, like, what can we do that? And again, if it's a, if it's a case, I, I don't know why I keep like harping on bad relationships today, but you know, if it's a case of, well, you know, again, I have like this partner who doesn't help. Okay, so that needs to be a conversation. As hard as that might be, that needs to be a conversation. Um, or if it's a, you know, if it's my work that has this ridiculous expectation of me, you know, it's okay. So again, like, what needs to happen with that? Is that somebody else's expectation? Is that your expectation? Like, are there parts of you that are feeling insecure about your job, and you feel like you have to be like the star in order to, you know, to keep your job, you know, whatever, but it's like, what, you know, if you know that the only time that you have to yourself and therefore, uh, you know, and, and at night it's, it's like, well, what else am I going to do that's enjoyable besides sitting and eating? It's not like you can go, I love massages and it's 11 o'clock at night. I'll go get a massage. Like you can't do that. So, you know, food becomes this super easy thing that's there, you know, and I always say, and it's something that you can do while you're doing something else. So when you're that super busy mom who still has, you know, well, back when we were, you know, going to school, like, you know, cupcake, cupcakes to make for the bake sale and da, 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 you can be eating while you're doing that. So you can sort of be taking care of yourself while you're doing these other things that you need to get done. But you're right, the ultimate issue is there's too much going on. And what do we need to do about that? And it's, you know, oftentimes, when you work on those issues, the eating kind of, you know, subsides on its own. I really feel like um, with, with, emotional eating, disordered eating, I really feel that therapy is so such a better fit than nutritionists. Like seeing uh, seeing somebody like yourself, seeing a psychologist, seeing a therapist, seeing a mental health professional is going to get you further than seeing a nutritionist who's just going to give you more food rules. I agree with you. I mean, I'm a little biased, but yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> Uh, but I think, and I, and again, and I think that, you know, I, I think why that doesn't happen as much as it should is because of obviously there's a lot of still stigma about that. And there's still this idea that it's the food, it's the food. I'll just, 
I'll just work on the food, but it's not the food, you know, it's, it's all of these other issues. And, and for some people, again, it's sort of this fear of, um, of dealing with those and what's going to happen. What, what is it going to be like to unpack all that? And can I handle that and that sort of thing? But I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, thankfully, I think there are a lot of um, dietitians out there who are, who, you know, absolutely are, are well aware of that and who, um, you know, refer to therapists, you know, when they get people in there. Um, unfortunately, there are still ones who don't, but, um, but I think that hopefully that's becoming more of the norm, but I, I completely agree with you. So often it's, it's, it has absolutely nothing to do with the food and adding more rules to it is only going to make it worse. It's not going to make it better. Right. And like you said, those rules just serve as a distraction. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to prolong the inevitable. You're eventually going to have to deal with this shit. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, but I mean, you're, like, it's, it's easy to focus on the food. It's like, oh, this is a quick fix. I'll, I'll go to a nutritionist. I'll get my food all dialed in. Um, this will fix everything, right? We still have that ingrained belief. Yes, I, I completely agree. All right. Let's... Let's talk a little bit about the quarantine 15 or the, the pandemic weight gain or, I mean, are you seeing a lot of, what are you seeing around this? So what's funny is that I'm not necessarily seeing it so much in my clients that I'm seeing it everywhere else, you know, like even, you know, like my personal Facebook page, you know, friends are commenting and certainly you see it kind of all over social media. Um, my, I certainly had clients who in the beginning were like, oh my God, like I'm, you know, I'm eating so much more than I used to. Da, 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 da. But for a lot of people, and obviously we worked on that, um, for a lot of people that kind of calmed down. Um, but I still think that, and again, as somebody who had, I mean, first of all, I, I certainly am somebody who has had, you, you know, my whole life of thin privilege. So I, I definitely want to put that out there, but, you know, has gotten to a point of, you know, I've gained weight over the years and I just don't care because I know that's not my value as a human being is not my size. Um, but you know, so for me, it's like, oh my God, like we are in a, I keep saying this to people, like we are in a health and financial crisis like why are we even focusing on this and i think some of it i mean some of it is just again when people get anxious they focus on control you know so what can i do i can i can kind of control my eating i need to i need to look at that more i think there you know in the beginning there was also you know sort of um it was being put out there that being overweight was a risk for you know from catching COVID, which there's no, no proof of that whatsoever. So I think I, I definitely had people that were worried about that. Like, oh my God, you know, I'm technically, I hate to use the BMI stuff, but you know, I'm technically obese and now I'm at higher risk. And so there was that fear. Um, but yeah, there's just this, this, this focus on our bodies. And I just feel like it's, it's so, Oh, like there's so many other things that we need to be paying attention to kind of what you were talking about earlier. It's, it's like, it, there's just so many other more important things. And so I think a lot of it is, again, it's like, if I, when we get anxious, we focus on our bodies. And so, you know, no matter what that looks like, no, whether that means we're trying to control them with diets or we're freaking out that we're out of control with food, whatever. But again, What's terrible is that, I mean, I personally think it was completely normal for people to go out there and like buy out the grocery store because we were all freaking out. And I think that speaks to just, 
you know, we all have a history somewhere in our family that, you know, people have experienced famine and people have experienced starvation. That's like in our DNA. Everybody has that. Every, you know, um, every culture has experienced that. So I think, you know, when we were all like, oh my gosh, we're going to be shut down for initially it was like two or three weeks, you know, everybody just went running to the grocery store. And I think right there, that just tells you how important food is to us and and not in a bad way, obviously. Um, So I think that was a totally normal response. I keep telling people, like, I can't tell you how many boxes of mac and cheese I've gone through since the quarantine started. And that was something that like, that's an old comfort food for me. And I very rarely eat it. But man, that's tasted good for the past, you know, few months, Um, you know, and I'm not eating boxes of it, you know, but still just having that, like, you know, we all need a little more, a little extra comfort right now. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I just feel like we all kind of need to calm down and know that at some point we will get back to, and again, air quotes, normal. Um, And, you know, things will take care of themselves. But when we're in such this heightened level of anxiety, you do what you got to do. And for some people, for a lot of people, that was food. So I just wish people could be much more forgiving of themselves for, you know, running to food at this point in time and know that, you know, it will calm down at some point. And we just need to stop worrying so much about the weight. Everybody's weight fluctuates no matter what. Um, And yeah, it's going to more at this point in time because we've been comfort eating more, but this is how we've been taking care of ourselves. And that is okay. You know, this is not a life long pattern that we're now that we're now all in but I just I I would I just want people to be much more forgiving of themselves I guess that's the bottom line yeah and another thing that I mean I've noticed in my own self I do a lot of um body care like I get acupuncture I'll get massage from time to time I get neurofeedback um, I get energy work and I haven't really been doing I'm start, starting to a little bit now reintegrate myself into into like society, but I, there was I basically took away so many of my calming, comforting, soothing practices. As somebody that's highly anxious, like just a, kind of a stress case, I need to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And during quarantine, I uh, all of those things went out the window. They were no longer available to me. And I'm sure that's true for many people. So if not only are we dealing with this anxiety of like, oh my God, I could get sick and die. <laughs> right. And you know, and then maybe to have our, our our the things that I don't even want to call them coping strategies, but our you know, our soothing practices have been taken away from us. If we slipped into eating comfort food, I mean that's okay. Right. It's really okay. Um you had mentioned in, in one of the emails you fired my way, you had mentioned something about, and this will be the last question that mm-hmm. I'll ask, but I think it's an important one, how our bodies need to be emotionally safe in order to let go of weight. And I don't want to harp on the weight loss piece, but I know that that's what people want to know about. <laughs> and I feel safety is such a big thing we're all grappling with right now in over the past few months. So Tell me a little bit more about this concept of needing to feel emotionally safe. And then as a psychologist, how do you get your patients into a safety zone or maybe a better way to put it? How do you get folks out of a hypervigilant state? So that's a really good question. And I think, again, this is one of those things that I have certainly seen people say isn't a thing. Um, But I do think for some people, and I absolutely want to highlight some, um, weight serves a purpose and we can certainly 
give the most obvious example of you know women who have have who have had histories of trauma um wait and, and i have had people literally say to me i can tell you exactly when i started gaining weight because i was 13 and that's when the abuse started and so yeah and so and again it's like i have i i've seen people out there say but that's not really a thing and that's fat phobic and that's all that kind of stuff and it's like yeah but that's what people are flat out telling me so um so so certainly it can be a protection um, and I've had, I've, I, I've had a lot of women over the years. I've, I, I seem to sort of have a, tend to have a lot of women on my caseload at any given time that are older women. I've had a lot of women who have never, uh, you know, never gotten married, never had significant relationships, never had kids. And a lot, and so much of that goes back to being bullied as a kid and feeling so insecure about themselves and their bodies and, you know, all that kind of stuff that they never really put themselves in sort of what we call those normal sort of social situations. But, um, so, and, and even for women who, you know, have maybe, you know, gotten married and now divorced, whatever, there's this, and, and people will say this to me, well, you know, when you lose weight, then you should start dating, then you can start dating, which of course is a horrible message anyway you look at it. Um, but there's, and, and then there's this fear of, oh my God, I have to put myself out there, I have to start dating. So it's like they're sort of holding on to the weight as, as long as I still have this, I don't have to go do this other thing you know, or if they're feeling like I can't really go for that promotion because, um, you know, my boss looks at me as um, incapable because of my size or whatever, which unfortunately does happen. Um, but, you know, so it's like if I, oh, so if I lost weight, then I could go for that promotion. But that makes me really nervous to put myself out there and go for that promotion. So I'm just going to kind of keep this on. And I have people who flat out will tell, will again, flat out say, I'm keeping it on because I don't want to start dating. And it's, that's terrifying to me. Um, and for other people, it's more of a subconscious process. And for some people, that's not a piece of it at all. Um, but I think, again, working through that, well, first of all, you don't have to date anybody if you don't want to, no matter what size you are. So let's, you know, uh, let's look at that. But it's like, whatever it is that you feel like is the thing that weight is sort of protecting you from, we have to look, we have to work through that. And then, you know, once we do that, then you feel sort of safe enough to, um, I mean, again, if you're somebody with a history of abuse and you've always thought weight was the thing that was keeping people away, it's terrifying to then lose weight and start getting attention. Um, and I've certainly had plenty of people do that and then turn around and put the weight right back on again because that was so terrifying and they didn't know, um, they didn't, they didn't know how to handle that. I mean, at one point I'm somebody who actually has a history of, I, I have like, I, I have a black belt in karate. And so I had, um, started teaching like women's self-defense because again, if you feel like, Hey, I, I know how to protect myself. I know how to, how to handle any of these situations then the anxiety of, you know, what happens if I lose weight and I start getting attention, like that kind of falls away. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Wow. That's that, that was kind of heavy. Um, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go. There, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it all makes perfect sense. So, um, so it's really about if, if, if weight becomes this, like you said, it has a, can have a purpose. It can serve as protection. I mean, for like physiological 
protection for sure. And, but you're saying more of like an emotional protection, Mm -hmm. um, then if the goal is to lose weight and I'm not certainly not suggesting that it should be, but if somebody's listening and the goal is to lose weight, the work it sounds like is really evaluating the emotional, like that, what, how weight is providing safety for you. Correct. Yes. Yep. That sounds like something that you really can't do by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You might need some handholding. You might. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of which, can you tell, um, can you tell folks, listeners, how to find more of you? And I know that you do some telehealth, but it's really only for the state of Connecticut. Correct. Yes. But where can we get more from you if we're interested? Right. So if you are in Connecticut, certainly, you know, I mean, again, that's not my choice. But in this day and age, we still can't cross state lines in terms of therapy. Um, but my my website for my therapy practice is drkimdaniels.com. Um, my website for my coaching business, which again, that's online, that's anywhere, is yourweightisnotyourworth.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm not super active on there, but and it, it's the same handle, your weight is not your worth, but it's got underscores. Um, and yeah, I have a Facebook group called Food Freedom with Dr. Kim Daniels. So feel free to, to pop into that. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much where I am. Awesome. I will link up to all of those. Oh, thank you. So people can just click on through to find you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kim. I really appreciate (laughs) you coming on the show. This is all really great information that I know people will love to sink their teeth into. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 